Do you ever think about what Jesus wants? Do you ever think about what Jesus desires? Is Jesus even like that? Does, does he want something? Could there be something that he wants? After all, he is God. He is the creator of all things. He is the possessor of all things. He is the sovereign ruler of all things. Uh, he can walk on water. Have y'all ever heard that? Amen. What, what does Jesus want? What does Jesus want? Now be sure and frame that uh, correctly tonight. Not what does he want from us. Sometimes we think like that. Uh, not even what does he want for us, but what does Jesus want? Well, tonight in our conclusion of Jesus' prayer, and just now steps away from his betrayal and his arrest, just a short distance from Calvary, uh, as we hear his prayer, he ends tonight with his desire. He actually ends with his wish. Now, in this prayer, in the 17th chapter, he has prayed about the glory of the Father, that he might be glorified, that he would glorify the Father. He has prayed for his disciples. He has prayed for the mission of the disciples. He has prayed for future disciples, even us tonight. And now as he concludes his prayer, he prays expressing his desire. Tonight our message is entitled, the Lamb's Great Wish. The Lamb's Great Wish. Now we're in John chapter 17, verses 24 through 26. We're going to close out the 17th chapter. Tonight, John chapter 17, verses 24 through 26. The Lamb's Great Wish. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. Beginning in verse 24, Jesus is speaking. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them and will make it known." so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come tonight and we rejoice in you. We praise you tonight. We're thankful for the opportunity to come on a, on a Tuesday night and to lift up praises to you, to, to celebrate our risen Savior tonight. Lord, I pray in this time that, that now as we begin to study your word, I pray that you would speak. We know that your word is living and active. Lord, I, I pray that you would speak to us, the church tonight, that you would instruct us, that you would grow us, that you would encourage and equip, equip us. Lord, I pray that tonight in the hearing of, of the good news of the gospel, that if there's some that, that do not know you, I pray that in the hearing of your word, in this very evening, that they would turn to you and they would trust you in faith. Lord, we pray that in all that has gone on, all that will go on, that your name is held high, that you're glorified. Lord, we trust this to you, we give it to you. And I pray in our Savior's name, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Again, tonight we come to the conclusion 
of Jesus' prayer just before the events of his crucifixion start moving forward. In fact, the very first verse of chapter 18 says, immediately after these words, Jesus and his disciples enter the garden of Gethsemane. And so understand the hour has now literally come. The hour that was set before the foundation of the world, the hour of the offering of the sacrificial lamb of God is at hand. And just before that, just before that, these words are the prayer of Jesus. These words are spoken out of the mind and heart of Jesus just prior to that. And so tonight as we conclude this chapter, as we conclude this prayer, I want to encourage you to listen to these words. All right, we begin back tonight in verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. In verse 24, Jesus prays, Father, Father, I desire. Now, the Greek word for desire in the original language translates, or it means, I want, I wish, or I intend. And so it actually means to desire. He says, Father, I wish, I desire. Now, again, see this. The prayer ends with this wish of Jesus, with this desire of Jesus. And that's how the prayer ends. He says, I desire that they also whom you have given me. Now understand, we've talked about this before. This is not a select group, uh, meaning that the Father gives or the Father chooses some but not others. No, this is referring to all who would believe, to any who would believe. Any person who believes in Jesus, any person who trusts in Jesus for their salvation, the Father gives to the Son. Well, Jesus says, I desire that they also be with me where I am. Now, understand this is not talking about in Jerusalem where he's at right then. It's not talking about standing on the edge of the Garden of Gethsemane. No, it is that they would be where he is at, that they would be with him. That is his prayer, that they would be where he is at with him. Now understand, this is talking about heaven. His desire is that those that are saved in the power of God and in the grace of God by faith in him, by faith in Jesus, that they would actually be with him, that they would be where he is at for eternity. So see this. Think about this for a second. We want to be where Jesus is at. That's our hope. That, that is our desire. We want to be where Jesus is at. What a day that shall be when my Jesus I shall see. But Jesus shows us here, he wants us to be with him. Did you get that? In these verses, we go around saying, well, I, I can't wait to see Jesus. I'm ready to be in heaven. But in these verses, he shows us that his desire, his wish is that we 
would be with him. Remember John 14, Jesus says, in my father's house are many dwelling places. He says in those verses, for I go to prepare a place for you. Remember that message? That is the cross. It is the cross where he goes and prepares our place. And he says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That where I am, there you may be also. Jesus says, I go to the cross. I endure the cross. I finish the cross. And the reason I do that is that where I am, there you may be also. Now, hold up for a second. I thought that was for us. I read those verses, and I think that's about us. And now we see it is his desire, it is his wish as well that we would be with him. Folks, I, I want to tell you, that's an awesome thing. That's a tremendous thing. That, that's an astounding thing. Believe it or not, Jesus desires that we would be with him for eternity. I thought about that this afternoon. I, I thought... Jesus desires that we would be with him for eternity. How awesome is that? Think about this. Jesus has talked about the now, really these final, these other, these previous chapters. He has talked about the now. Really previously in this prayer, he has talked about the now. He's talked about the call of believers now. He's talked about the urgency of believers now. He's talking about the important work that we have now. Now, be sure, we live, we just saw this in the world now. He says, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that they would be in the world. We live in the world now to carry out his mission now. We have the call to lead people to him, and it is imperative, and it is vital, and that is our mission now. Understand, he has told us all about the now but then he points to the hope that we have coming. He points us tonight to the awesomeness of heaven, to the promise of heaven that is coming for believers. Be sure tonight, believers are to be faithful in the now. We are to be diligent in the now. We've seen that. But it is always with an eye on heaven. And I, I, I think about that. We, we're to be diligent now. We're to be faithful now. We're to be steadfast now. We're to be proclaimers of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. The, the world around us is lost. We're to be diligent now, but it is with an eye cast toward heaven. That is the truth. As we labor now, as we work now, we're to keep an eye pointed toward heaven. You see, if we never think about heaven there are two possibilities that might occur. If we go through life and all we worry about is the now, and, and that is our focus, if we never think about heaven, there are two possibilities that could occur. The first one is this. If we never look toward heaven, we start to try and get comfortable in this world. And that's what happens. We start acting like this world is our home. We start acting like this world has our hope and we start making plans for this world. If we never cast an eye towards heaven, we start trying to get comfortable in the world. Isn't that what happens? 
You know what? I'm going to get my retirement and I'm going to get these things. And if I ever get my house the way I want it, and if I ever get these relationships squared up, and we start to focus on the now. We start to focus on the world like it is our home. Guess what? Bible says the world is not our home. The Bible says we are not citizens here. The Bible says we're sojourners. We are traveling through. That's the first thing that happens if we never put our eye toward heaven. The other thing is this. If we never take a look towards heaven, if we never take a glimpse toward heaven, the other possibility is this. We start to get defeated and we start to get discouraged in the world. You ever notice that? If we never think about the promise we have of heaven, the treasure of heaven, we start to feel hopeless right now. Well, look at this pandemic and look at our economy and look at all the divisiveness and look at all these things and and the circumstances overwhelm us and we start to feel helpless right now. Bible says the world is passing away and as we're in it and as we see it, we start to get discouraged. You know what, I don't know how we're going to make it out of here. I don't know what's going to happen now. If we never cast an eye toward heaven, we start to get discouraged in the now. Well, I want to tell you, guess what? This world's not our home. Same answer. We're not citizens here. Our hope, listen, be sure of this, our hope and our home is so much better than this. So much better than this. We got 19 more sermons, and so I've got a little bit of time. <laughs> and so I, I want to take a left turn right here for just a, a brief moment. And I want to remind you tonight what the Bible says about this. You see, if we'd ever look toward heaven, we start to think, you know what, we better get comfortable here. We better make our way here. If we never look toward heaven, we start to get discouraged here. And so I want to take just a detour, just a few moments, and I want to remind you this evening what the Bible says about heaven. Now now listen very carefully. The Bible says our Father is in heaven. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The Bible says our citizenship is in heaven. The Bible says in 1 Peter, guess what? Our inheritance, it's not here, it's in heaven. The Bible says our treasure, don't lay it up here. In Matthew, our treasure is in heaven. The Bible says our future, you want a future, it's not here. Our future is in heaven. The Bible tells us our faith will be realized, will be finished in heaven. The Bible says our reward, listen, is in heaven. Our reward, it's not here. Our reward is in heaven. Let me remind you, the Bible says our loved ones, those that have died in Christ, 1 Thessalonians, praise the Lord, they are with Jesus. They are in heaven. In fact, the Bible tells us all of the saints of glory, all those redeemed on earth in the book of Hebrews, it says they are in heaven. Now, I want you to get this. Those are awesome. Listen to this one. I want you to get this. The Bible says right now, listen, right now, 638, right now, right now. The Bible says right now, If you are saved, your name is written down in heaven. Praise the Lord, your name is written down in heaven. I I was thinking about that this afternoon, and I thought there at my desk, Dadgum, my name beat me there. 
I could go on and on tonight. I could go on and on. Eternal life is in heaven. I could talk about that. I could go on. But I want to tell you this, and I want you to hear me, and I don't want you to forget it on this Tuesday night. And best of all, listen to me, our Lord, our Lamb, our friend, our King, our Shepherd, our Savior, Jesus, is in heaven. And tonight we see Jesus desires, Jesus wishes for us to be with him there. Praise the Lord. Jesus' desire is that we would be with him there. Then he tells us the reason why. Let me read the rest of the verse again. Father, I desire that they also, whom you've given me, be with me where I am. Listen to this. So So that they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me, before the foundation of the world, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. See this tonight. Be sure of this tonight. They had seen Jesus. They had seen Jesus. They had caught a glimpse of his glory. Maybe maybe they just saw a glimpse of it. Maybe maybe they just saw a flash of it, but they'd been with Jesus. These disciples, they'd spent years with Jesus. Maybe they they just caught a glimpse of it. After the resurrection, they would see a little more of his glory. He's resurrected. At, At his ascension, they would see a little more of his glory. But no one had beheld fully his glory. And so we see that. They spent time with him. They they may have caught glimpses. They're going to see some awesome things coming up. But not one of them, none of them had beheld his full glory. Well, Jesus' desire is that with him in glory and with them with him, that they, listen, including us, that we will see his glory. Now, let me explain this. What keeps that from happening is sin. Sin's what keeps that from happening. He is holy. He is righteous. He is perfect. He can have no part of sin. We are sinners. And sin is what keeps that from happening. Now, I want you to think about this. In heaven, listen very carefully. In heaven, we will see life for the first time with no sin. Because the Bible says the curse of sin will be gone. In heaven, we will see life without the guilt and the shame of sin because we will have been forgiven of each and every sin. In heaven, we will see life for the very first time without the consequence of sin. Now listen, that's a big deal. We will see life without the consequence of sin. The Bible says, and all things in the book of Revelation will be made new. There's no sickness. There's no death. There's no sorrow. There's no tears there. We will see life without the consequence of sin. All things will be made new. In heaven, we will see life in its perfection, in its fullness, in its completion, as it was before there was any sin, 
Because in the absence of sin, the Bible says, the former things will have passed away. The former things will be, have passed away. And best of all, in heaven, we will see eternal life and the Lamb himself will be with us. We've been watching the progression of this lamb. We've been watching him as he prepares for this final Passover. We've watched the prayer of the lamb. Well, I want to tell you, in heaven, we will be with him in the absence of sin. We will see eternal life, and the lamb will be with us in it. The Bible says we're not going to need the light of the sun nor light of a lamp because the lamb, he will be our light. And listen to this. The Bible says, and praise God, and we shall see his face. Jesus prays, Father, let them see my glory. Let them be no filter, no filter of sin. Let them be no limitation, forever free from sin, standing with him, the Savior for sin. Jesus says, let them see my glory. That is Jesus' wish. Let me read the next two verses, last two verses of this prayer. Oh, righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. Verse 26, and I have made your name known to them and will make it known, so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. I want to read those two verses again. Every word's important. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them and will make it known, so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus addresses the Father, O righteous Father. In verse 11, he called him Holy Father. That means set aside, unlike any other. Well, now he addresses him as righteous father. It translates just, correct, right, perfect in will, perfect in motivation, perfect in application, perfect in righteousness. Oh, righteous father. He says, although the world has not known you, and I want to slow down right here for a second. How sad to have a God that loves you, in fact, he so loves you, that wants to know you. We looked at that word, it means to deeply know you. To have a God that wants to deeply know you, that sends his only begotten son, that he might have fellowship with you, and to miss him. And to miss him. He says the world has not known you. He says, yet I have known you, and these, talking about the disciples, these believers, they have come to know you. And he says at the start of the, of the 26th verse, and I have made your name known. Now, we've talked about this several times. The name, it's not just the name of God. It is talking about the totality of who God is, the totalness of who God is. Well, he says he has made the totalness, the totality of God known. Jesus is the revelation of God. He has revealed God the Father. His justice, we've seen it in Jesus. His wisdom, that's infinite, we see it in Jesus. His kindness, 
We see it in Jesus, his grace. We see it in Jesus, his goodness, his holiness. We see it in Jesus. Listen, the love of God we see in Jesus. I have made you known, and he says, and will make it known. I've made your name known, and I will make it known. Now, there's two parts of that. One is in the resurrection. He's made the truth of God known, but they will see still more of God in the resurrection. They're going to see the power of God in the resurrection. They're going to see the might of God in the resurrection. They're going to see the defeat of sin, the conquering of death in the resurrection. And so he says, I've made the totality, the the truth of who you are known, and I'll make it known more in the resurrection. The other part of that is talking about the Holy Spirit. When Jesus ascends, he says, he's not going to leave us as orphans. The Holy Spirit is going to come. And so when the Holy Spirit comes, we'll see even more of God. We'll know more of God in and through the Holy Spirit. And stay with me. Here's what he says. And all of that, all of that, his incarnation, his humiliation, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his glorification, and all of that, all of that, so that the same love that you've loved me with and even myself that we might be in them. Now, what that means at the closing of that verse, that that it means that it might fill them. The love that he's had for Christ and even Christ himself might fill them, might be experienced by them, might even consume them. Now, what that means is that they would know that he is the Father, that they would know Jesus is the Son, and that they would know his love. He's basically said, and all of that, All of that was that they would know the Father, they would know the Son, and they would know their love. Listen, all of it. Why did Jesus come? Why did he endure all of that? Why would he march off from this prayer to the the cross? All of it, all of it is so that we would know God the Father, so that we would know Jesus the Son, and that we, listen, the last of the verse, would know their love. Isn't it tremendous? His prayer ends showcasing his love. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Listen to me tonight. Oh, how he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. No greater love, no greater love. It was all so that his love would be known. Oh, how he loves. Chapter 18, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the ravine of Kidron. And there was a garden in which he entered with his disciples. All of that, so that you would know the Father, so that you would know the Son, and that you would know their love. Listen to me tonight. You are so loved. Let me ask you a question. We're about done. So what will you do with this love? What will you do with this love? Will you ignore it? Will you shug it off? 
Will you try to go chase something in the world and think it's going to replace it? What will you do with his love? All of that is that you'd know it. Let me tell you the right response to that. The right response is to see his love and to see your sin and to see how he paid for it and to see his grace, see his victory over that sin and to turn to respond in love. We love because he first loved us. My question to is this, what will you do with that love? What will you do with his love? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear me, Father, we come now. We're thankful for you. And I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful for your truth. Most of all, I'm thankful for a precious Savior, Jesus. I'm thankful that tonight we have hope fixed and settled in him and his cross. I'm thankful that tonight we have the forgiveness of sin. If we would just but turn from that sin and turn to you, you'll forgive us. You tell us. Lord, I'm thankful that we have the righteousness of a perfect lamb that we can put on. We can stand remedied in our sin problem because of the perfect righteousness of our Savior, Jesus. Lord, I pray tonight if we, as we hear of this truth, as we hear of your great love, I pray, Lord, that those that don't know you, those that, have, that, that haven't heard this gospel, maybe those that have heard it a million times and have walked away from it, I pray that tonight in the hearing of good news, they would turn to you tonight and they would receive you in faith tonight. They would trust you for the salvation of their souls from sin, the penalty for sin. Lord, I pray the second response tonight is this, that we as believers would stand in that love, would be encouraged in that love, would be emboldened in that love, and would carry that love to a lost and dying world. Lord, I'm thankful that you so love. Lord, help our response bring glory to you. We love you tonight. We thank you. We trust this to you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close our service now with a time of response, a time of invitation. And I want to tell you, that's why we preach the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a decision. God loves you. He so loves you. He sent his one and only son, his only begotten son to come to pay for your sin, to pay for my sin. That's exactly what he did in the cross of Calvary. I've earned a punishment, you've earned a punishment. Separation from God for all eternity if we stay that way. The Bible calls that the second death in the book of Revelation. But God so loves us, he sends his son. And he comes, he lives a life he never sins, not one time. And because he never sins, he's able to offer himself in our place, in our stead. That's exactly what he does. He goes to the cross of Calvary there. He takes my sin and your sin. The Bible says he even becomes our sin. And he pays for it there. The Bible says God's righteous wrath, his anger towards sin is poured out on Jesus, his son. He settles it there. He pays for it there. It is finished at the cross of Calvary. They take him off of that cross. They put him in a grave. He's dead, actually physically dead. Three days later, guess what? He walks out of that grave and he stands as the risen king he stands as the Lord, the King, the Savior. The Bible says if we will trust in Him, if we'll trust Him as the Savior for our sin, He'll save us. Listen, if you'll trust Him tonight, He'll save you tonight. If you'll turn to Him tonight, He'll save you tonight. The Bible says we profess with our mouth what we believe in our heart. We shall be saved. If you'll turn to Him tonight, repenting from your sin, turning to Him, He'll save you tonight. That is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. No sin is too big. No distance is too far. If you'll turn to him tonight, he will save you tonight. What are you going to do with a, with a love so great? 
Maybe you're here and you've trusted Christ, but you've never fought in believer's baptism. The Bible says that it's always by immersion in the New Testament, always after the point that we're saved, not part of our salvation. And so maybe you're here and you've made a decision. Maybe it was further back. Maybe it's recently, but you never fought in, in, in obedience to Christ and believer's baptism. We want to give you an opportunity tonight to come as well and say, well, I want that testimony to stand. I want to celebrate and testify to what we believe, what I believe of Jesus, what's happened to me in and through Jesus. You come as well. Maybe you're looking for a church home, and if you've prayed about it and you believe God has led you here, you come as well, and we'll unite, and we'll carry this word. We'll point to this Savior until he comes again. Maybe tonight on this Tuesday night, you want to come pray at an altar. Maybe you want to come pray with me. The Bible says nothing's too big, nothing's too small. Maybe you want to come and pray for these last 19 days that God moves, that he works, He's glorified in each and every one of them. I'm going to ask that no one would stir about, no one would head for an exit. You pray for those who are making decisions. If God has spoken to you, you step out. You come on, I'll meet you here. As we stand and sing, you step out. You come on, I'll meet you here.